All right. Why don't you turn to Amos chapter 2, please? Amos chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 6 through 16. And the message entitled, Israel judged for her sins, plural. The prophet Amos begins his book by declaring the judgment of six nations that were all around Israel. And she finishes up with Judah and Israel because they're split, divided nation. The reason Judah and Israel are listed with these pagan nations is that they were living like the pagan nations. Edom, Ammon, Moab. They were related to the people of God, the descendants of Esau and Lot. The climax of the pronouncement of judgment is Israel, the northern kingdom, our text. The first six contain two to four verses each for the judgment. Syria, Philistines, Tyre, Edom, Ammon, Moab, Judah. That's from chapter 1, verse 3 to 2, 5. But the last Israel contains 11 verses, 6 through 16. This is the climax, this is the focus. Amos is speaking to the northern kingdom. So, we want to look at the judgment pronounced by Amos over Israel, the northern kingdom, which is characterized by three things. Let me read our text. Verse 6, chapter 2. Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, for four, I will not turn away the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go in to the same girl, to defile his holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken and pledged, and they drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorites before them, whose height was like the heights of the cedars, and he was as strong as the oak. Yet I destroyed his fruit above his root beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up from the land of Egypt and led you forty years through the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. I raised up some of your sons as prophets and some of your young men as Nazarites. It is not so... Is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? But you gave Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets, saying, Do not prophesy. Behold, I am weighed down by you, as a car full of sheaves is weighed down. Therefore, flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his power, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. For he shall not stand who handles the bull, the swift of foot shall not escape, nor shall he who rides the horse deliver himself. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day, saith the Lord. The judgment pronounced by Amos over Israel here, the northern kingdom, is characterized by the three following things. First, the divine proclamation of judgment. You have verses 6 to 8. Second is the divine consternation of their judgment in verse 9 through 12. And thirdly, the divine destruction at their judgment, verse 13 through 16. The divine proclamation of their judgment comes first, 6 through 8. Look at verse 6 with me. The divine note behind the judgment is declared very clear. The oath being declared as one of supreme authority, the judge of all 
people, every person, every nation, God. This is hard to accept by some people today who don't believe in God, who are in positions of power. They think they have control of everything and nothing's going to happen. The word for, uh, the words are those of God, thus saith the Lord. And the word Lord, all capital letters, means Yahweh, the covenant name, the eternal one, the existing one, the I am that appeared to Moses back in the wilderness. The one who needs no information, the one who knows everything, the one who, that nothing escapes him. These words are repeated eight times in the judgment of the nations. The same thing, identical to Syria, speaking about Damascus. In verse 3 of chapter 1, Philistines, mentioning some of their cities. In verse 6 and 8 of 1, Tyre, verse 9 of chapter 1, Edom, verse 11, Ammon, verse 13, Moab, chapter 2, verse 1, Judah, 2, 4, and Israel, 2, 6. This is not the only list. You have Isaiah, you have Jeremiah, you have Ezekiel, and others that have a list of the judgment of the nations for their sin. We'll teach, we'll deal with that more tonight. Now, the particular words, notice, in the oath describes the long suffering of God. Don't miss this, very important. The sins of Israel were many. Listen to the words, for three transgressions of Israel and for four. The phrase does not indicate a literal three, four times and that's it, God's gonna lower the, and whack you, okay? It's not what it's talking about. He's talking about a transgression that had been passed over. They had passed the limit. Listen to me. They had exhausted the patience of God. There is a limit to God's patience. Now, you know when God says that's enough, you know he hasn't made a mistake, right? You and I make mistakes, but he does not. The pronounced judgment, therefore, is now declared. Listen to it. I will not turn away its punishment. The spokesman is still God, indicated by the pronoun I. This personal pronoun appears 24 times in these two chapters in the judgment of the nation. I, I, I. Now, when someone keeps saying I, I, we get sick of it after a while. You know, like even the guy gets sick of himself. It's like the guy says, you know, I'm tired of talking about me. What do you think about me? You know, it's just about when God uses I, we should be humbled. It should cause us to just fall to the ground. The supreme authority. All the past repeated warnings they had heard from God through the prophets were no longer available to them. Now they were hearing the verdict of guilt and deserved punishment. No way out. Notice the crimes deserving of their judgment now are enumerated for us at the end of 6 down to 8. The people of the northern kingdom were going to be judged because they were involved in human trafficking, having turned away from God. And every one of these things is because they turned away from God. Once you turn away from God, never say never, you would do something or not do something. When you turn away from God... You will shock even yourself what you will do. The people who believed and lived for God were merchandised by the wealthy to enrich themselves more because they sell the righteous for silver. Remember Jeroboam 2, 
God had blessed them the last 50 years, they were wealthy. God's judgment comes in two ways, removing things and giving you over to things. You're not walking with God, God bless you with wealth, he'll destroy you through the wealth. Because you will destroy yourself. It'll master you. Their greed would hand these people over, the righteous, the godly, over to those who they owed money to. Some of them are slaves, imposing great suffering upon the persons and families. The godly were enslaved for small, the smallest of dead. Listen, for the poor and the poor for a pair of sandals. Wow. Forgetting the compassion of God and the law. Forgetting the provisions of the law for debts. Back in Europe, they used to have debtor's prison. You didn't claim bankruptcy. You went to prison and paid your debt. You claim chapter 13. I pay your debt. God made provisions how to do that. They were excluding all of this. The people of the northern kingdom were then oppressing the people. So social injustice is going on. Look at verse 7. The oppression of the people. They were ruthless towards the poor, trampling on the helpless. They went after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor. What the heck does that mean? The word panther means to be eager for, to snuff up. In other words, the wicked were not satisfied with merely oppressing the poor and taking everything from them, but they were so greedy that it drove them to utterly crush them despite of their miserable state of casting dust on their head. No compassion, no pity, no empathy, nothing. They had lost the fear of God. And once you lose the fear of God, ladies and gentlemen, um, it's a scary thing. They corrupted people. Look at seven. They perverted the way of the humble. They enticed and tempted others to do evil. The word pervert there means to bend, turn, or to incline. Maybe you remember growing up and you had an older friend, two, three years, who was the most popular, whatever, and he corrupted you and or she corrupted you and, you know, then you corrupted somebody else. And that's the way of sin nature. We even get, are proud of doing that. We, we laugh at it. We, we laugh at people's uh, destruction of their morality and their ethics. And, and we corrupt them. Because see, if they're godly, we don't feel comfortable living around them. So we have to make them like us. They went out of their way to make people corrupt and evil. Then they were sexual degenerates. Look at a man and his father goes into the same girl to defile my holy name. The honor and dignity of a woman was not considered here. Now, Israel had the highest view of womanhood. It was still low, but it was the highest all around. Christianity has exalted women so far above. That's why feminism is a lie. Look at any culture that the gospel has gone through. It has liberated women, protected women. Religions of the world suppress women, especially Islam. I don't know what the love affair about Islam is all about here. It has to be completely spiritual deception. The dishonor 
and shamefulness of a father and a son satisfying themselves was vile before God. The girl could be a household servant raped or a family member committing here incest. The definite article indicates a specific girl, but we're not told what specific girl it is. Some believe maybe a temple prostitute, though that's possible. I believe because of their corruptness and their form of worship, it could very well be within the context of rape and that, and incest. The holy name of God was defiled, profane, polluted, violated, because God made the male and female to be one in the context of marriage. Marriage is honored to the highest in the scriptures. With women's liberation, it's not. I'm not talking against women not voting. I'm not talking about women not driving. I'm not talking about none of that. I'm talking about the liberation that destroys the home and first the woman, then the home, then the marriage, then the children. That's what I'm talking about. And our nation has sown to the wind, reaped the whirlwind. Notice the people of the northern kingdom were religious, another sin. Verse 8, they were able to bring suffering on people and worship with no problem. They lie down by every altar on the clothes they take in pledge. The altar was where they offered their worship to the false gods. As they went into the land, they took all these gods. They traded. Jeremiah says, you know, the weird thing is that my people have traded in me for gods that are no gods. They, they, two things they've committed. They, they've, they've forsaken the, the God of the living waters, and they have hewn off of them broken sisters, that which can hold no water. Amazing. The pledge here was the object of security of borrowed money. You would take a person's cloak, Exodus twenty two twenty six, as a as a guarantee, a, a down payment for the money you loaned them. But at the end of the day, before the sun went down, I was to give you back your coat so you can sleep in it. Then the morning would bring it back to me and I'd hold it during the day. Well, here they're laying on it. They're not giving it back. Complete violation. Some think that the word they could imply the profanity of the sexual union with the father and the, and the young man here with the same woman right there at the altar. It would not be strange because that was a practice of the northern kingdom with the pagan practices. They were able to drink wine as they worshipped their gods without any conviction of robbing and oppressing the righteous and the poor and drink the wine of their condemned in the house of their God. And it could mean the condemned also that, that they somehow were had been fined for some little misjustice, which is nothing, but there's no conviction, there's no consequence. It's just celebrated. Drunkenness is a great problem in the northern kingdom as we've seen through Hosea, Joel, now here again with Amos. That's why I don't understand drunkenness now. Drinking is a, is a usual thing with many Christians because of the emergent church. Do you realize how many people are killed yearly because of alcohol in the United States? And then we cry about people dying in war. What a bunch of hypocrites we are. One person, one soldier is too many. No, no, no one knows that better than I, because my son was almost killed and his friend was in Afghanistan. But we're a bunch of hypocrites when we push alcohol and, and 747 jets, about 20 of them a year, just crash them, if not more. 
are equivalent to how many people have died because of alcohol. And yet we're crying, peace, peace, no war. Let's take our guns away. Hypocrisy. But it's by those in power, right? Indoctrination, control. We have a perfect example of many of these atrocities through Planned Parenthood, whose founders, Margaret Sanger, believing that the minority should be sterilized and eliminated. They make her a hero, a heroine today. Are you kidding? Yeah, she's heroine, okay? Um, she believed in eugenics, the pursuit of a master race, and she was a nymph, and she was a friend of Hitler. Listen how the, the dictionary defines eugenics. The science of improving a human population by controlling by controlled breeding to increase the occurrence of desirable heritage characteristics, developed largely by Francis Galton as a method of improving the human race, it fell into disfavor only after perversion of its doctrines by the Nazis. Margaret Sanger was fellowship with the Nazis, with Hitler. Amazing, we're into it all again. Now you have Planned Parenthood. Destroying babies in the womb, drowning them with salt water, tearing them apart. Partial abortion, letting the baby be born, turn it around, cut the back of his neck, suck its brain out. You need to understand what it is. Now we've got videos where babies are born and they're left there on there to die so you can harvest whole organs, undamaged organs. You think God's going to wink at us when men in Congress are so evil, so corrupt that they won't defund it? And the judges in the Supreme Court are so senile, they don't know the difference between a dirty picture and what's right? Wow. The judgments of God to the world as well are well attested to the scriptures. The flood of Noah, the Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah. I think some of the natural disasters that God allows to come sometimes in hurricanes and in earthquakes are directly from God. The only problem is we don't know which ones are. But God does. Psalm 916 says, The Lord is known by the judgments he executes. The wicked is ensnared in the work of his own hands. And then it says, Meditation, Selah. Think of what I just read. The trafficking of people is a huge problem in the world. Men and women, women mostly are sold for sex trafficking um, around the world. Child pornography and sex slaves is a big business on the internet, as you know. The sexual abuse of young boys <clears throat> in Muslim countries is common. Even as one of our military heroes stopped the rape of a young boy by a military officer in Afghanistan who was chained to his bed for weeks and he would hear him daily crying out. This is business as usual in Muslim countries as well as the rape of young women and girls. They have a saying, listen carefully, women are for having babies, men are for fun. Where's the love affair with this rotten religion? We're lied to. Take you, your wife and your daughters, go live in a Muslim country. Come back and talk to me. Thanks to President Obama, the deception is great.
The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Ladies and gentlemen, I cannot understand or explain the wickedness and evil that we are condoning and facilitating and funding apart from spiritual deception. Which means spiritual judgment. The world today is very religious to the worship of Mother Earth, but has no problem with committing atrocities against the human race. The worship of evolution is the religion of America and the world. The policies of global warming bring oppression and financial disaster to businesses and people. Not a betterment. It's a myth. Even the Pope came and said that, right? Wealth distribution and global warming. Wow, you would think the Pope and Obama are cousins. The amount of drinking that goes on in Washington, D.C. reveals it to be the highest per capita. And they're making national decisions. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is a way of death, Proverbs 16.25 says. The divine proclamation of their judgment was, listen, unquestionable. Unquestionable. Second comes the divine consternation of their judgment, 9 through 12. Notice 9 and 10. The inexcusable short-mindedness of Israel's high privilege of God's blessings in the past is given to us. Israel had forgotten how God brought judgment to the Amorites. Look at verse 9. God took the credit for destroying the Amorites from the land of the Canaanites. He's the judge of all, even though he used the nation of Israel. Yet, it, is, it was I who destroyed the Amorites before them. They forgot. God told Abraham he would not give them the land until the fourth generation when the iniquity of the Amorites was fully complete in Genesis fifteen sixteen. That meant that God had given many warnings for 430 years to the Amorites and they didn't heed them. They crossed that line and judgment was executed through the nation Israel. Simple. God told Moses to destroy every person, including women and children, because they were so vile. If you are 60 to 70 years old, or even 50, you remember America where there was some form of ethic and norms and everything, and that young kids, for the most part, were normal kids, and once in a while they deviated. But now the youth of today is so vile because of the indoctrination, because of the music, because of all the teaching that goes on, where a 16-year-old could break into a house and and rape a grandmother, a great-grandmother, and then have a sandwich before he leaves. No problem. This is not the exception, ladies and gentlemen. It's a whole different day. The word destroy means exterminate, annihilate. Notice God was not hindered by their great civilization. They were all tall and strong people, described figuratively here, whose height was like the height of the cedar, and he was as strong as the oak. So, that's no problem for God. I will destroy them, he says. 
They were exterminated. Yet I will destroy his fruit above and his root beneath. Verse 9 says, the fruit above and the root beneath means no one will be left. The repetition I destroy is for emphasis and clarity. In spite of their great stature, they're in number 13, 22 to 33. They searched out the land. They came back with a report to Adam. I mean, not to Adam, to, to Moses. And they said, listen, Moses, you know, or to Joshua, this is what's going on. They have tall cities, this and that. And they have men of great stature, the Anakins. And he's using here the Amorites to the whole of the population here for Canaan. But that's no big deal for God. And Israel had forgotten that it was God had given them the land of the Amorites. They forgot that God destroyed them. And that God now had given the land. God took credit for delivering them from Egypt. Also was I who also brought you up from the land of Egypt. 430 years they were in bondage until God delivered them. Didn't take long to be complaining. Now it's about 250, 70 years here in the northern kingdom. Brought back into bondage. What is it that leads me to bondage? Sin. Always. None of us can get away from that. It's a warfare we're, we're born into, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't fight the warfare with spiritual weapons and with the armor of God and with the power of God's spirit, you will lose every battle. If you allow Satan to draw you out in the flesh, you're a dead man. You won't even get a foot outside the door. God took credit for preserving them and led you 40 years to the wilderness. He divided the Red Sea, crossed on dry ground. He gave them drink. In the wilderness, that rock was Christ, Paul tells us. And he gave them quail and manna for 40 years. Amazing. He made their clothes and shoes to last all that time. They didn't wear out. Not a bad job. They forgot all this. Have you forgotten where God brought you from? Very important. What did he bring them out for to possess the land of the Amorites? Look at 10. God used the nation to judge the sins of the Amorites, I said, having exhausted the patience of God 430 years. How, when, we don't know, but God gave them. He told them, I can't give you the land until the Amorites' iniquity is complete. 430 years. God used them to exterminate the Amorites to possess their land. This was a gift from God, the promised land. The land the people go together. The land belongs to the Jews. No one else. Israel had forgotten all these things and that now judgment applied to them from the Holy One of Israel. Notice verse 11 and 12. Next we have the inexplicable hard-heartedness of Israel's sins. God had done all he could by sending them his prophets. Verse 11. From their own nation, I raised you up some of, some of your sons as prophets. God made himself known to certain men, Hosea, Joel, here Amos. Those who didn't compromise, those who were faithful to God. God saw some sons that were not corrupt, who did love the Lord, who wouldn't go that way. And he raised them up and sent them out because the priesthood and the kings and all had become so corrupt. But also from a distinct order. And some of your young men as Nazarites, it says. The law of the Nazarite, Numbers chapter 6, verse 1 through 21. When we were um, in the Old Testament with Samuel, we saw that with uh, Gideon and Judges. Um, 
with um, Samson and, and the law of the Nazarite from the root to separate of our separation. Men and women were eligible for any length of time a consecration to the Lord um, unless they were called for life as Nazarites, such as Samson and uh, John the Baptist. They're two good examples. And the conditions were to abstain from every form of wine, fermented fruit and juice and stuff like that, and also not cutting their hair. And their defilement couldn't come for a dead body. And if it did, not even for a loved one, they could defile themselves. And if they did touch a dead body, they would have to go through the whole seven-day ritual of purification rites. And then they would lose that time that they gave. But very, very specific. The prophets and the Nas right here. And, and they could not deny this. He says, is it not so, O you children of Israel, says the Lord? It's a rhetorical question, only having one answer. Yes. Yes, you're right, God. We are guilty of this. That's what he's looking for. But that's not the response usually. You ever read the book of Malachi? God says, they say, where, where have we robbed you? Where, where have we done this? No acknowledgement, no confession. Arrogance. The culprits, oh, you children of Israel. The accuser, says the Lord. Can't find fault there. He has all the information. He sees and hears everything. Look at 12. God had observed all they did to silent the prophets. They intoxicated the Nazarite. But you gave Nazarite wine to drink. So it's not enough. The one, but also both of them. To defile their oath. To disqualify themselves. They ordered the prophet to not speak God's word. Commanded the prophet saying, do not prophesy. The word of God exposed their sin. Their rebellion against God. Darkness doesn't like light. You remember being in the world in a party? And you walk in and you turn on a light in a party. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Turn The word of God would cause them to repent. They would do the same to Amos. In chapter 7, 12 through 13, it says, Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the royal residence. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord Yahweh took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Amos 7, 14 through 15. Wow. Be quiet, Amos. Don't tell us about this. People aren't comfortable. Some people aren't comfortable with my type of preaching and teaching. Because I tell you the truth. I point out the things in our nation, in our country. People want to go to church to hear Nigel's comfortable message. I want you to know the text. I want you to understand what it says. And I meant it that day. But you must apply it to your life today. The Bible doesn't say that you're to come to God so that you can be happy and feel good. You're to come to God to turn from your sin and live for the glory of God and be a light and salt of the world around you. 
God's heart is always broken when he has, has to bring judgment. No better illustration can I give you than the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen carefully. Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. Wow. Sometimes we can uh, become short-minded about the high privilege we have with Jesus in view of our past. From where Jesus took us out of and how he forgave us for all our sins. We can look at our life a little different. Well, I wasn't that bad. No, you were right. You're terrible. From what he delivered us in a life of sin and bondage that would destroy our lives. I'm to, I'm to contemplate that if I hadn't repented 42 years ago, where would my life be today? What would have I done to my wife, to my children, to my family, to my grandchildren? What state would my life be in? I'm to think about that. I'm to never forget that. How he has made me new and given to me and you a new life, a living hope in Jesus Christ. Listen to Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance is incorruptible and default, it does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, and are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. First Peter 1, 3 through 5. What a great hope. To who do we owe this to us? No. To him alone. Sometimes we can become hard-hearted to God and the things of God as Christians due to the disappointments of life, the seeming unjust and unfair things that have come upon our life because we're focusing on ourselves and not the Lord and his past and present goodness. Due to the evil around us and we do not know why God doesn't just strike them and smoke them right now. The problem is that I forget I might be the first to be struck. Due to our compromise with sin that robs us of our joy, peace, and the love of God. Due to not growing in the word and develop into maturity of Christ for his glory. Hebrews twelve fourteen through 15 says, Pursue peace with all people. And holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by these, many become defiled. He's talking to Christians. Not the non-believer. Context, context, context. Sometimes people become indifferent to sin. Thinking that God is, uh, uh, that if God is blessing them, then it must be that God approves of their life. Really. This is self-deception. This is very dangerous. This is contrary to the whole of Scripture and the nature of God. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he will also reap. Galatians 6, 7. He's talking to Christians, not non-believers. Now we know it can apply to non-believers, but he's talking to Christians. All the warnings are to Christians. The divine consternation of their judgment was undeniable. God had all the right to be upset. 
the divine destruction at their judgment is last, 13 through 16. Notice in verse 13, the judgment was long coming. Don't miss this. God was wearied by their sinful lives. He called for their close attention to what he was about to say. Behold, one word. As if a parent was to say to his child, listen carefully. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. The concern is that they understand the seriousness of the matter here. He declared they had become a burden to him with their sins. I am weighed down by you. These words are those of a broken-hearted father who is overwhelmed over the destruction they had brought on themselves. God gives us a picture of our own humanity, <clears throat> our love for our children and how we would be torn apart and we would do everything we could to restore and to try to turn our children. But there comes a time when we would have to say, enough's enough. Now I can go further than I should or I can come short of what I, of, of what I should be patient for, but not God. God is right on time. The phrase weighed down means to cause to totter and crush. God confirms this by the figurative language. Listen, as a cart full of sheaves is weighed down. The picture is of a cart that is overloaded with sheaves. Now there's a lot of different interpretation by the commentators. They, they, they go to different things. But the basic idea here is the cards overloaded with the sins and it'll break down, teeter and totter, going around a turn or something. What was broken down was the relationship with God. The load of their sin and apostasy had become a heavy burden to God. Just like the sins of a son or a daughter that they're bringing upon themselves, destruction become a heavy burden upon the heart of a father or a mother. Here's the kicker. I'm only a son or a daughter for a few years, but I'm a parent for the rest of my life. And whatever my children go through, I go through. End of conversation. God had to judge them. God would judge them. The judgment would soon be coming. It was long coming, now it's soon coming. Look at 14 through 16. And 14, all would be overcome by their enemies. The fastest on foot would die, therefore flies shall perish from the swift. The strongest man would not prevail, the strong shall not strengthen his power. The valiant man will be defeated, nor shall the mighty deliver himself. Then in 15, every effort would be futile. The bowman, he shall not stand who handles the bow. The foot soldier, the swift of foot shall not escape. The horseman, nor shall he who rides the horse deliver himself. All would be overcome by fear. Look at 16. The bravest are mentioned here. Implying that all others would fear. The most courageous men of might shall flee naked in that day. 
if the most courageous fears and flies, everybody else will also be there. The certainty of all this that has been pronounced is guaranteed by divine authority. Listen, says the Lord Yahweh. Absolutely certain. Nations progress. They go from bondage to spiritual faith, from spiritual faith to great courage, from great courage to liberty, from liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependency, from dependency back to bondage. The average length of a nation is 200 years. We're about 239. How quickly we have decayed in the last 30 to 40, 50 years. How easily and quickly we can see it in the last 10 years. Fast. As we look to our world, we see the long overdue judgment of God. Our world has replaced objective truth for subjective truth. And lies are passed off as truth over and over again. Our world and many of our leaders have openly rejected God and his word. Our political correctness and pseudoscience of global warming are now the Bill of Rights and the Constitution of the world. The UN has scheduled classes with clear vision consisting of the three E's. Some of you remember in the 90s, I taught you this. Listen carefully because they're here. Environment, which focuses on the creation rather than the creator. Economics, which focuses on the World Bank. Equality, which focuses on putting everything on an equal level, a, contraction to diverse, a contradiction to diversity. 1 Thessalonians 5.3 says, For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a woman, and they shall not escape. What did we just read? They shall not escape. You think judgment is coming? I know judgment is coming. I also know judgment is here. The World Conference has held a decade in the 90s are now the reality of the 2015. Some of you remember some of these things as I read them. Earth Summit of Rio in Janeiro in 1992, Rio de Janeiro. The Conference of Pseudo-Spirituality of Pantheism, which has and is being taught to our children in public schools and in that nationalistic capitalism is the cause. Well, the same thing here. Capitalism is the cause of all of our problems. Is that what the Pope said? Is that what Obama says and all the Democrats say? Absolutely. This was a blend of pseudoscience to clean up the environment, which would obligate the U.S. to pay billions of dollars to clean up the planet. Why? Because we're the greatest polluters? We're not the greatest polluters. We just flipped the bill. A lie. The Human Rights Conference in Vienna won 1993. The conference was an effort to build on the U.N. Declaration of Human Rights. The U.N. Declaration of Human Rights, Article 2, reads as follows. The rights and freedoms may in no case be exercised contrary to the purpose and principles of the United Nations. The U.N. is what rules the world right now. Not the United States. Go back and look at the things that happened in Afghanistan and Iraq. And some of the soldiers came back with a U.N. flag and different things. You had U.N. patches on them, Okay. Compare this to Thomas Jefferson's statement that man is endowed with, by their creator, the inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Everything is put subject to the UN. Hillary turned in Arizona for human rights to the UN. <laughs> now she's running for president of what? LA Zoo? 
The UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, for example, has planned within its many uh, admirable goals some provisions which, if strictly interpreted, give children the right of determine their own sexuality autonomously from parents, the right to watch and entertain and refuse religious instruction. That was in the 90s. It's here. It's happening. The Population Conference in Cairo, 1994, the premise was that the world is, uh, is racked with overpopulation, causing starvation. The solution suggestion is that the universe, uh, uh, universal access to abortion and proactive birth control and a huge transfer of money from developed nations to managed by the UN. Wow. The, permissive, the premise is incorrect for the highest population density on the earth is Singapore, where nobody is starving, and the lower population densities, on the other hand, are in areas where starvation is rampant. Lies, lies that are passed on. People do not look at them or examine them. Indoctrinations. It has been proven that the entire population of the world can be placed in the state of Texas with plenty of room for houses. We don't want to all live in Texas, but even if the population has changed, take another state. The rest of the world is empty. Go on the Google. Go on the map. Do your math. The problem is not too many people, but unwillingness to produce sufficient food and a desire and a desire to control the masses. One put it this way: "Quote: This is one of the oldest tricks in political strategy: crisis management." Wasn't that Emmanuel Kant, Emmanuel and Obama? A crisis. Crisis management. Government creates the problem in order that people will accept the government's solution to the problem. The Conference of Rights of Women in Beijing, 1995, men were portrayed as villains, patriarchal and lesbian rights were uh, promoted. One of the workshops, all women joined hands together to pray to Mother Earth, which mocked Orthodox Christian beliefs. Hillary was ahead of that. The Habitat II Conference in Istanbul in 1996, the summit laid out the pseudo-economics. The premise was that the third world countries are owed due to the exploitation of the United States and other Western nations. So we have to pay everybody. We have to apologize to everybody, as our president has for seven years. The concept of uh, sustainable development, which means that the United States might have limits, caps on its gross national product, determining the formula, dictating how much each person really needs to sustain themselves. So they're going to tell you how much money you can earn, what you can buy, what you can't buy, what you can drive, what you can't drive. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 90s. The objective of these conferences is to control the masses through government solutions. The theory of overpopulation is a perfect example. According to Jacques, Jacques Cousteau, we must eliminate 350,000 people per day. I'd like to have him as your boss. The shortage is not due to the lack of technology, but the lack of willingness to teach others to feed themselves. People are starving in the world, but not because God has not provided the resource, but due to the fact that man's greed and desire is to control. These are some of the ways they are controlling population today. Listen, um, infanticide or abortion in the Conference of China was for women's rights were kind of hypocritical that China can only have one baby. Amazing. Euthanasia, it's here. 
It's based on the quality of life philosophy that one has a right to end one's life being assisted by people like the old Dr. Kevorkian. You see, the problem is that sooner or later when you go to the hospital, they may determine that your quality of life is really not worth it, so they may make the decision for you to euthanize you. Now, it's in Europe already. Washington, Oregon, they're practicing it here in our nation. Obamacare provides for that. Absolutely. The death panels were no exaggeration. All of your records are in Washington. Everybody's going to be forced for Obamacare. It's going to be a one-payer system. And the lines to get your appointment, it's going to be long enough that you might die waiting for it, just like it used to be in Canada and Europe and everything else. That's why people came to the United States. If you believe I'm smoking crack, you're wrong. Absolutely wrong. Teen deaths have been on the rise 300% in 1985. What do we say now, down here, 215? Why are young people killing themselves? No hope. Homosexuality is the last straw. It's accepted. It's a double whammy. They can't procreate. Another form of birth control. They die younger because of the horrific consequences of such a lifestyle. Now let me say that God loves homosexuals. Just like a fornicator or an adulterer. And they can be saved. Paul told the Corinthians, some of you were fornicators, adulterers, sodomites, homosexuals. And by the way, there's a difference between a sodomite and a homosexual. Sodomites aren't always homosexual. The Bible distinguishes them, okay? Most people don't. And he says, but now you are clean. Now you are washed. Because they were in Christ Jesus. Are we clear on that? Listen to Romans. Romans tells us because they knew God and they didn't want to glorify him as God. They were, they were not thankful. Became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise. They, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God. Into the image made by corruptible man. And birds and four-footed beasts, animals, and creeping things. And they changed the natural use of the woman to be women with women, men with men. And he says, and they received to themselves the recompense of their errors, which was due to them. This is God speaking. It's not me. Romans 1, 21, all the way on down to 27. The divine destruction of their judgment, listen, would be unsustainable. Unsustainable. This is reality, ladies and gentlemen. This is a real prophet speaking to real people. A real time in history. Two things never change. God and man. God is holy, man is sinful. God is the judge, and man is the one that gets judged. Real simple. The judgment pronounced by Amos over the northern kingdom of Israel is the divine proclamation of their judgment. It was unquestionable. The divine consternation of their judgment was undeniable. 
and the divine destruction of their judgment would be unsustainable. No one will stand. No one will remain standing when God judges. That's why he sent the son to forgive you, to cleanse you, to make you new, to give you hope, to give you joy in the worst of circumstances. Only Christ can do that. Christ alone. Lord, we thank you. We worship you. Thank you for your word. Hope we have in you, Lord. We pray you continue to deal with us. Help us to be a light and salt. Lord, that we proclaim truth and it, it's not accepted with an open heart, yet that it would cut the heart, Lord, and they would repent. Let us be true to you, Lord, and that they would sense our love, not hate or vengeance. Certainly we hate the evil, the consequences that go on, but we, we have no personal vendetta towards any sinner. That's why we preach, Lord. So we pray that it would just fall on good ground. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God, who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, the Bible says you can be saved. But you have to call on the Lord. And ask them to forgive you of your sin and to change, change your life. This is your prayer to him. Whether you're here or over the internet, you can say this prayer and he will save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.